Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse Podcast, the longest running podcast of its kind. Carrying on the 18-year legacy of Army Wife Talk Radio, we have now expanded our community to include all military spouses of all branches and all components. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us as we empower military spouses to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Now, here are your podcast hosts, your Mission Mill Spouse Command Team. Welcome to Mission Mill Spouse Podcast. We're glad you joined us because we have quite the lineup today. This is episode number 956, and I'm your host, Sarah Robichaud, Director of Administration. And I'm your Deputy Director of Empowerment, Amy Fisher, joining Sarah today. We do our best to be authentic because, like many of you, we pursue progress over perfection by embracing the suck. We always have your back, and we are here to bring you the resources you need to thrive in your mill spouse life. On today's show, we are pumped to share an interview conducted by our Director of Content, Kathleen Palmer, as she chats with guest Fernando Arroyo, author of the book, The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battle for My Soul. It sounds like I'll be adding another book to my Amazon cart this afternoon. Hey, Amy, I'm looking forward to hosting with you today, but why don't you go ahead and update our listeners on what's new with you before we dive in? Uh, new with me? Well, we finally have had a week of um, peace, like not too much going on. And then, of course, I get one kid getting the sniffles again. So I really hope that we don't have another round of colds. Um, it is very cold up here in the D.C. area. And um, I think it's going to get to the teens tonight, which that's it for me. I'm not going anywhere. And then I have, a, a, I always talk about her recently, but a coasty daughter on the other coast in San Francisco. And she recently had to have, well, dental, dental surgery yesterday. Oh, no. And I don't know what it is with the girls that go under that anesthesia for dental, but they come out very emotional is what I've been told. <laughs> so of course, this kid calls me crying yesterday in the car about mom. I was talking to the nurse about the Kardashians and my lips <laughs> mom and and thank God I can say that she is married right now, um, a young married couple, and they're adorable. And poor Mark is on speakerphone going, don't worry, mom, I'm getting her home and putting her to bed. And Oh, my gosh. It was just one of those moments where I thought, thank God she's married. And um, I didn't have to be there for this one this time. And so hopefully today she's feeling better. I'll see if I get any random phone calls. We'll see what happens next. Oh, that's what so funny. <laughs> yeah, they're nuts. <laughs> And what about your world? Well, I uh, I live in Michigan, and I think our high today is four. Um, oh. So I am also not going anywhere today. It is super cold outside, um, but I am powering through because we are actually planning on going on vacation to Florida in two weeks. So I have my countdown going, and oh. you know uh, we're stationed out of Detroit Arsenal, and it's been just very gray this winter. I think even the locals have been complaining about how gray it has been. And uh, we did three years in Germany um, a while ago and, and it was very dark and gray and the seasonal depression was real. And Detroit is actually just about as bad. Um, it's just been a really gloomy winter so far. So I'm counting down the days till we get to go get our, you know, our vitamin D and sit by the pool and just leave my work behind. It'll be a much needed break, I think, for all of us in our family. And there's beautiful weather down there. I have another friend there right now posting these gorgeous photos. And I'm like, okay, y'all. Um, yeah. Well, yeah our, neighbors, our neighbors snowbird in Key West during the winter. So they pack up their, their RV and they leave Michigan behind and they spend the winter in the Keys and they're posting pictures, you know, grilling outside with the palm trees while I'm shoveling oh, yeah. off my car again. And it's just kind of like, hmm, all right, we need to go somewhere. <laughs> and I didn't realize that about Michigan being gray. I mean, I feel like we're having a gray season over here too. It's just I, that you're not kidding about that seasonal depression. I just need some sunshine. Yeah, I take vitamin D every day. And even when it's not sunny, I still try to get outside. And I have mm -hmm. a, 
one of those sun lamps next to my my uh, my computer while I work. But yes. even that, like, it's just some some days it is so dark. Um, even you know at lunchtime, I have to turn all the lights in my house just to make lunch because it's so dark. Um, wow. Which I didn't I didn't realize either. And we moved here from Virginia, so it's just it has been quite the shock. But spring will eventually get here, right? Oh man, let's hope so. I don't know. That groundhog had, it seemed like news <laughs> yesterday. So I don't know if I trust him at all, but hopefully we will. It's coming. It's going to be around the corner. I'm just going to keep telling myself that. So fun fact that I learned about Michigan this week is that they have their own version of Punxsutawney Phil, who has a much higher success rate, apparently. And <laughs> their, their groundhog said an early spring. So I am in my heart going with that one. <laughs> so Side with you then on Team Michigan. Who are that little? Puxatani Phil version is I am with him or her. That one works. thing I love, one thing that I really love about um, our organization, Mission Mill Spouse, is you know when we get to take our URL online conversations and make them IRL in real life. Um, so thanks for giving us a glimpse into your Mill Spouse experience, Amy. Thanks, Sarah. Same. Let's keep our program rolling. Time to tune into my personal favorite, our Moxie Minute, and then on to our top news stories from our News Six correspondent, Emma Tai. Unlike our calendar plans, our commitment to serve military spouses is written in ink. Now continuing our 18-year legacy is Mission Mill Spouse Deputy Director of Empowerment with this week's Moxie Minute. Hello, listeners. Amy here from your empowerment team, and I want to share with you an acronym that I've put together for us to think of when we hear about Moxie. So let's start with the M. M is for Motivation. Remind yourself of your own gifts and abilities, and even some of the difficult times that you've overcome in the past to stay motivated to achieve your goals and navigate the unique challenges of military life. O is for optimism. Cultivate a positive outlook and focus on the good, even in the difficult times. It will take hold and help you push through. The X is for experience. Embrace every experience as an opportunity for growth and learning and use your experiences, both good and bad, to not only grow and become stronger, but to eventually help others as well. I is for initiative. We need to take the initiative to get the help we need, to make our own path, and to create the life we want. Don't wait for opportunities to come to you. And E is for empowerment. Of course, from your empowerment team. Empower yourself by focusing on those things in your life that you do, that you do have control over and making decisions that align with your values and goals. And again, use that knowledge that you're gaining to empower others in your community. So there you have it, Moxie. I hope you can use this acronym to help you stay motivated, optimistic, and empowered no matter what life throws at you. With Moxie, we can handle anything that comes our way with grace and strength. Until next time, Moxie up. No news is typically good news in this military life, except on the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Here is our News 6 correspondent with this week's top stories. Howdy all and buckle up for this week's News 6 update. Military partnership grows with Google. Google has announced a partnership with the Department of Labor's Employment Navigator and Partnership Pilot, or ENPP. Through this dynamic duo pairing, Google will offer the Google Career Certificates and Google Cloud Certification programs in fields including data analytics and IT support to military members transitioning out of the military and their spouses. 
This service is free of charge and will be offered at many military installations around the globe. These civilian workforce transferable skills can help procure careers in fields such as data analytics, digital marketing and e-commerce, IT support, project management, and user experience design, and takes as little as three to six months to complete. Transition can be challenging, and the support from Google for our transitioning service members and their spouses makes it easier for them to chart their new course, said James Rodriguez, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Policy, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Operations and Management. The work our partners with the Employment Navigator and Partnership Pilot do makes a difference, and VETS is thankful for Google's contributions and impact, and we look forward to continued partnership. After giving so much to our country, every member of the military community deserves the opportunity to thrive in the workforce, said Lisa Gebelberg, founder of Grow with Google. We're proud to work with the Department of Labor to help members of the military community successfully transition into civilian careers through our Google Career Certificates and Cloud Certification Program. This Grow with Google program has been available at a cost since 2018, with 75% of graduates going off into successful applicable careers within six months of completing the course. This partnership allows military members and spouses to access the same tools, but without a price tag to go with them. Good on you, Google. Investing in our military members and spouses is always worthwhile. Find out more at grow.google. TRICARE for Guard Troops A battle and discussion that has gone on for ages is the argument of National Guard families and having access to all TRICARE benefits. While allowed to have TRICARE, it has always come with a price tag. That could change for Maryland Guardsmen thanks to the Healthcare for Heroes Act currently being introduced at the state's House of Delegates. If this bill passes, not only do they have access to free TRICARE, but will also be reimbursed. The pricing for TRICARE Reserve Select currently is over $300 a month if the family is also enrolled. This bill is being pushed by the state governor, Wes Moore, whose top secretary in a press release said the law is intended to ensure those who have stepped forward to serve our state and nation don't have to make the difficult decision between healthcare premiums and other necessary expenses. While TRICARE Reserve Select offers highly competitive insurance pricing, some 60,000 Guardsmen are currently uninsured. This will come as a big win for the National Guard Bureau, who has advocated for free healthcare for their members for years. If this bill passes, hopefully Maryland is just the first of 50 states to offer access to free healthcare for National Guard members. A round of applause for Maryland, Way to know that an insured soldier is a mission-ready soldier. Learn more at MilitaryTimes.com. Sesame Street rocks on for military families. While it's been around since 2006, Sesame Street for Military Families has just launched a brand new batch of resources from the Sesame Street workshops. The new videos released are titled, What Went Well, Keep It Simple, Still in Quiet, meal planning, and daily movement. A tidbit from one of these videos shows Elmo missing his dad, who he used to play guitar with but is now gone for a while. He asks his mom, who is busy in the kitchen, to play with him. She says no, but has a change of heart and orders pizza while rocking out in an upside mixing bowl. But what really strikes the right chord is when she states that when routines change, like they often do for military families like mine, doing things simpler can be a good way to take care of ourselves and our families. The way we are always ready to rock. The healthier the entire family is in mind and body, the more energy, patience, and support they will have for one another and their community. 
Jeanette Benancourt, Sesame Street Workshop Senior Vice President of U.S. Social Impact, said in the announcement about the resources. Every little moment of self-care can have a big impact. Sesame Workshop is here with resources and support for our military and caregiving families who give so much of themselves in service to their country. Round of applause for Sesame Street. Thanks for empowering military kids to rock on through the ups and downs of military life. Find out more at sesamestreetcommunities.org. Today in History On February 13, 2000, the last Phoenix comic strip was published. The first was released in 1950, with 17,897 strips published in all. Charles Schultz wrote every single one and died with the comics also in the year 2000. At the time of his death, the Peanuts were in 2,600 newspapers and reaching 75 countries. Its four-panel gag strip became the golden standard of comics and led to TV shows, movies, and even a musical. Thanks for the laughs, Schultz. Unlike Charlie Brown, you never drop the ball. That's it for me. I'm Emma Tai with New Six, where information empowers. Thanks to our command team for going the extra mile to bring us these oh-so-encouraging and interesting sound bites each week. Now we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll hear this week's interview with Fernando Arroyo. We can't wait. Stay tuned. Mission Mill Spouse, formerly known as Army Wife Network, is continuing our exceptional and long-standing legacy. Now serving all spouses of all branches, we are the longest-running military spouse podcast currently broadcasting our 18th season. In fact, we will break 1,000 episodes in 2023. Don't miss an installment. Subscribe on our website, missionmillspouse.org, or catch our twice-weekly podcast on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six. Welcome Mission Mill Spouse podcast listeners. I'm Kathleen Palmer, your director of content, bringing you another empowering episode. Today's guest is the author of The Shadow of Death, a candid story of one warrior's descent into unimaginable despair and his glorious redemption in God. Fernando Arroyo considers himself privileged to serve those who served our country with the goal of ending veteran suicide. He works as the Veterans Program Director at Step Forward Academy as a coach and a mentor for veterans transitioning to civilian life. He helps them develop a career path to a living wage and connects them to a healthy community. Fernando, welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm just so happy you're up so early to, to talk with me. We're going to start off. We're going to jump right into your book, which is phenomenal. Um, and I would like you just to think about your faith, your faith life before you joined the military. And how would you describe your relationship with God at that time? Um, before joining, I grew up going to church. So my mom, my dad didn't go to church, but my mom went to church. Um, and back in those days, it wasn't just Sundays. Well, Sunday was two services. You have the morning service and then the evening service. <laughs> and we went to both. And then during the week, I think there was a midweek service. So I was going to church three times a week. I just remember going to Sunday school and learning about about the gospel, learning about Jesus, about Noah's Ark, all the, the cool biblical stories. And I believed, I believed at a young age. I even remember when I would go to school, a lot of the kids I grew up with, you know, maybe they had different beliefs and I would, I would stand up for Jesus. I would 
share my faith and then tell them like, no, you're wrong. That's not true because the Bible says, and then, so I was like a, like an apologetics kid or something. And <laughs> that's awesome. You know? Yeah. yeah just <laughs> like, this is what I learned. I'm going to tell you what I learned because what I learned is the right way. So yeah, going to church was a, a huge part of my life. I believed in Jesus Christ at a young age. I would pray as a kid. And to this day, I believe, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. So yeah. Right. And I've, I've had the, I've had the distinct pleasure of reading your book. And so I know that, you know, where you come to now so that God definitely prominently figures in your life now, um, the way that you joined the military, could you briefly talk about that? I think it was a, in a response to nine 11 is, is that right? Yeah. And it started as a kid though. It started when I was, I was like five or six years old in elementary school. I think I was in first grade. Yeah. Kinder first grade operation desert storm started and I saw the troops on the ground on Operation Desert Storm. And I just thought like, man, that's cool. Like this is, this is what I want to do. As time went on from 1991 to September 11, 2001, there was nothing else that attracted me more than serving. There, there was just no other career field that, that I found more interest in than to serve and to um, be one of the guys on the ground wearing camouflage with a rifle, you know, that, that's just, that's what attracted me. And I even, I prayed about it over the years, like, what am I going to do in the military and all that? And then I remember on September 11, I went to school in my first class, my buddy, Max, he said that he asked me if I heard about the explosion that happened in New York. And I said, no, he's like, yeah, one of the, there was an explosion in one of the twin towers. I think someone blew up a bomb. That's what he told me. And I thought, oh, okay. I, I really didn't think much of it. And when the bell rang and I got to my second class, that's when I saw all the kids in that class still there. Some had tears in their eyes and they're watching a TV screen. And I walked into class and I saw the, the, you know, one of the twin towers on fire. Then I saw the second plane hit. And then I saw mm -hmm. people, you know, live television, people committing suicide because they would rather commit suicide than burn alive. And I heard that we were under attack and that, um, Osama bin Laden did it from Afghanistan and all these things. And I just thought, okay, this is it. It's time for me to join. And that month on September 29, 2001, I raised my right hand and, and I swore to defend this country. Well, that, and that was your story when I read it brought back so much because I was a high school teacher right outside Fort Knox, Kentucky, when we were stationed. And I, I was teaching my English class and, and someone popped my head in and said, turn the TV on. And so I did. And kids were streaming into my classroom right as that second plane had hit. And I remember one kid said, oh, my God, what movie are we watching today? And I was like, oh, what? yeah, and, you know, and my husband is active duty. And, you know, we're just like. Your, your brain just doesn't go there. But I think really, too, with your story, like because you had thought so much about it as a kid and here was this moment and I felt like you really knew it was time to go. And that was what I thought was really cool that you talked about in your book. Um, OK, so that boy, that whole gives me tingles when you tell that story about 9-11 and just brings it all back for me. Yeah, um, all the later terrible on, they, memories. Yeah, because later on you write um, that during deployment, like, so you started off this prayerful, you know, very cognizant life. But as you get into the thick of it during deployment, um, prayer seemed to kind of become secondary. Um, and I remember one quote that you talked about um, how you seemed to focus on on Sarah at the point as opposed to your relationship with God, because it just seemed like way easier maybe in the moment. And so maybe you could um, talk about like that, because many Christians in the military kind of seem to feel the same effect. Yeah, something that I, I noticed, like when I was, before I joined, I was going to church every Sunday praying, you know, uh, I uh, 
I was more focused on God. When I went to boot camp, I was focused on God because I was scared and I'm like, God, help me through this. When I went to airborne school, jumping out of airplanes, my first time on an airplane was to fly from LAX to Fort Benning, Georgia to learn to jump out of planes. And I was terrified. And I bet. <laughs> I was like, man, I shouldn't have signed up for this. And so there, there but, you know, through that fear and, and the, these challenges, I was praying and praying. But something that happened in war, and I, I, I've talked to a lot of veterans and guys I serve with that when they joined, there were believers like me, but a lot of them straight away. And what happened is going to war and seeing the horrors of war, seeing the 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 suffering, the pain of the suffering, losing friends, it, it, it challenged my faith and questioning God's goodness. If God is good, then why is there so much evil? If God is good, why is my why did my friends die? If God is good, why are these kids suffering? I think as a human beings, we naturally look for comfort in different ways. You know, some people they they Comfort could be a blanket and some ice cream and they just want to like, you know, tune the world out. And for me, I, I made the mistake instead of leaning into God, I was kind of like setting my hopes in this, this new relationship I had with my high school sweetheart. You know, I could talk to her on the phone at least once a week and hear her voice. And, 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 you know, so I started focusing on, on her as kind of my source of of hope and my source of escape from the horrors of war. But it's, it's, you know, it's very, you, you, you can't beat yourself up too much about it too at the time, because it's what people do. I mean, you are in the throes of combat and things that you can't control. And so having something that you know is within your bounds of somewhat of control is actually very comforting. So um, I understood that as I read it and I, I can see where a lot of service members too, it's really hard, you know, to not focus on something that makes you feel better immediately because you're in the suck, you know, you really are out there. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, so I guess um, that one point in your book you write, and I, I'm pretty sure I remember this chapter, but I could be wrong. You can correct me. It's one point you write, maybe I've crossed over to the dark side. Maybe I deserve to burn in hell. Um, can you, do you remember that piece of the book and like wh why yeah. you kind of thought that? Okay. So that was my third deployment. So each, each deployment, I mean, if you could just imagine, I went from, you know, growing up, going to church to um, not, not going to church, really, it was rare that I went to church. Um, it was the only time I prayed was before I jumped out of a plane or before leaving the wire, which is when we're going to go out on a combat operation in Iraq or Afghanistan. So my, my faith was, uh, I was running on the fumes of faith, I, I guess, you know, it's like just the things in the back of my mind that I believed about Jesus Christ and what I knew about, about the, the word of God. And I was more focused on my training and my abilities. And, 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 um, and that caused me to, to adapt to the horrors of war in a very dark way, which is what a lot of troops do. That meant um, kind of tuning out or numbing myself to the loss of life or to suffering and, just kind of like saying, yeah, I don't care. So what, you know, these people died, who cares? Just brushing these things off, these life, you know, these death situations. And I remember one of the, uh, one of the sergeants in my unit, I just, I did not like him. He was, he was going through his own problems. Looking back in hindsight, he had his own family issues and he was taking it out on everyone around him. You know, that, that, that this was, was the his motor way. This was the, 
Oh, I'm sorry. This was the motor pool sergeant that you were talking about in your book. Yeah. This was the motor pool sergeant that I was talking about in my book. And he was always angry, yelling at, at, at troopers, you know, at, at soldiers and man, like we all, we, we hated him. Like, why is this guy so miserable? And you know, my, my friends, every time someone died, one of my friends died, I'm like, how come these good guys, these amazing guys are dying? Why can't we lose some dead weight? Some, you know, why can't we, why can't the people we don't like die? That would be better. That was my, my, my mentality. The sergeant at the motor pool, I didn't like him. And I thought, man, why can't he die? You know, if he died, things would be better. And sure enough, he did die. He was killed. Oh, man. Um, you know, he stepped on a, uh, on a double stack anti-tank mine and he was split in half and he passed <sighs> away. And I had this moment where I kind of, I knew that the right thing to do, I guess, morally is um, that I'm supposed to mourn the loss of a fellow soldier. And I'm supposed to have feelings of sadness when someone, especially an American, passes away. But I didn't. I didn't. And we even joked about how he died and, and it was just so terrible. And then that's when I thought, oh, okay, I've lost. I have no heart. I have no conscience. How could I laugh about this? And then that's when I kind of questioned, you know, all the stuff I learned about, about God and the Bible, about my salvation. You know what? I don't think I, I, don't think I am saved. I don't, there's no hope for me. Because if I really had faith in, in Jesus and, and in God, I wouldn't be having these thoughts. So I kind of thought, yeah, I, I, I've crossed to the dark side. There's no hope for me. I'm probably just going to go to hell when I die. Fernando, that what you, the, everything you just said was was so powerful. And the fact that you, you just, your honesty and your rawness is something that I think you have to have to be led back, you know, to, to your faith. And I think um, you said some things that I, a lot of soldiers and family members resonate with, um, especially with loss. Um, I think there's a book called the things they carried by Tim O'Brien. He oh, talks yeah, about Vietnam. Have you read that one? Yeah. He talks about yeah. Vietnam soldiers and about how they, they joke about death to deal with death and they, they kind of humanize it, you know, so it, you know, they, they can, they can carry it around every day. And um, that when I read that piece of your book, I mean, standing at his service, you know, with the, you know, with the rifle and the helmet on the rifle. And um, I think you had mentioned two generals had come in to salute. And that just to me is like, you know, we honor the, the sacrifice, but there's humans attached to that. And the way that made you feel, he kind of really pushed you back towards where you wanted to be. That was, that was a really huge part of your book. I'm sure it was difficult to write. A lot of this was very difficult to write. A lot of tears were shed in the writing process of, of, well, of sharing in, my in the story. reading process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, seriously, I did. I stayed up and I was, I had tears. I mean, you, you really got to the heart of like, I think what America and the world doesn't know about the soldiers and the, and you call yourselves grunts, you know, your 82nd soldiers going in there and what they did and, and how it affected them. And I think what you're doing now really leads to that. And that's why I want to go to the next um, question I want to talk to you about is there's a fascinating antidote in your book about meeting a homeless man. Or was he really homeless? Was he an angel? I think you entitled your chapter Angel. Um, could you talk about that? Yeah, that was, uh, uh, so getting out and then, you know, I had the GI Bill. So I'm like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to get paid to go to school, get a college degree. Why not? I mean, the money's there. 
and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to be in law enforcement or is there some other job that I'm supposed to do? I kind of didn't have direction. Yeah. And then I remember after I graduated uh, from um, UC Irvine with my bachelor's degree, I was kind of like, okay, what am I going to do now? I have a college degree. I'm not getting GI Bill money anymore because I got my degree. I'm done with school, at, you know, for the moment. So I was kind of lost and I was going to church. I was struggling with nightmares. I was struggling with different, uh, you know, all these things from, um, from war that, that I faced and, but I wasn't getting help yet. I was like, no, I don't need help. I'm good. I was just kind of stuffing it deep down inside. And I remember one day I went to the gym, just like, yeah, you know, I'm go to the gym, work out, you know, and just kind of like try to like clear my mind and try to figure out what Mm -hmm. I'm going to do with my life. And when I came back from the gym, I'm trying to find parking and where where I lived in the city of Long Beach, California, and (laughs) parking is terrible. Yeah. You know, it's just terrible. And it's street parking. And I lived in a studio apartment. And so I'm trying to find parking. And because the the street sweeper had just passed on one side of the of the street, um, there were some parking spaces available. So I had to I was going to have to do a U-turn in order to get into a parking spot. But it was weird because before I did the U-turn, I'm, I'm driving, I see the parking and there's a school across the street from where I live, where I was going to park right in front of that school. And there's, there's some benches by the flagpole in front of the school. And there's this guy sitting there, never seen him before. We make eye contact briefly as I'm driving, looking for parking. And the way he looked at me was like, he had been waiting for me. Like, hey, there's my ride kind of thing. You know, when you're going to pick somebody up and they see you right. and they, they smile and they start getting their things because they're going to get up and like walk towards you, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That, that, that's what he did. And it was weird. I was like, who is this guy? And, <laughs> and I looked again and yeah, he's looking at me. He's smiling. He's, he had the, this like these papers and newspaper in his hand, like next to him. And he, he gathered his things and he stood up and he's just like, looking at me like he knows I'm going to park right in front of him. You know, it's weird. (laughs) I do a U-turn, I park, and then I see him slowly walk towards my truck. And I'm thinking, no, this guy, there's a lot of homeless people in Long Beach. They all just ask, they're just panhandling. They ask for money. Uh, I'm not going to give this guy money. He's, he probably wants drugs, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All the, all the things, alcohol, drugs. So I, I get my stuff and then I like, I get out of my truck and I just start walking fast. And he says, he says, wait, wait, brother, brother. This guy just called me brother. I don't know the way he said it, brother. And I turn, I was like, what? He's like, brother, please. Can I talk to you? I said, what do you want? I don't have any money. He's like, no, I don't want money, brother. And he kept calling me brother. And I was like, whoa, what do you want? And he's like, look, I live in this shelter and I've been up since like five in the morning, walking up and down and he unrolled the newspaper and it was the classified ads and he had a bunch of jobs highlighted and they were all jobs within the area. Like he had been walking and he had copies of his resume and he had been dropping. Yeah. So he's walking around, dropping off his resume everywhere, like McDonald's, Walmart, Target, like everywhere. I'm like, okay, you know, he's been up since five. It's already two, it was about 2 PM now, you know, 1400. And I'm just, I'm waiting for his point. Kind of like, well, what's your point? Like, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I want to walk away now. And he says, brother, I don't want money. 
I'm like, so what do you want? He's like, I, I haven't had anything to eat all day. Can you please give me something to eat? Brother, please, can you give me something to eat? And I'm like, you don't want money. He's like, no, no, brother, I don't want money. Can you give me something to eat? Yeah, I'm like, you want something to eat? He's like, yes. <laughs> and I just thought about it for like a split second. I was like, okay, come on. And I let him in my home. You and brought him in your house. <laughs> I brought him in my house. I'm like, you want something to eat? Like, look, I just got back from the gym. I'm hungry. I'm just going to share my food with you. So I had, I had some salmon, potato salad, like, you know, what I had food. And I brought him in and he sat down, you know, at the kitchen table. And then, you know, I start getting the food, the, uh, turn the oven on. I'm going to get you know, the food prepped. And, and he starts, he says, brother, there, there's something I need. I'm like, Oh, here we go. He wants money. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't have any socks. I've been walking all day. I have blisters on my feet. I don't have socks. Do you have socks you can give me? So I gave him two pairs of socks. And as he put them on, he starts singing this uh, Christian hymn. I forgot what the hymn was, but I knew it from church. And I said, are you a Christian? And he says, yes, brother, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm like, oh. And then he puts the socks on and he says, brother, there's one thing I need. I'm like, oh, here we go. He needs something else. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for him to ask me for money. Yeah. And then he says, I said, do you want money? And he's like, no, brother, I don't want money. I'm like, well, what do you want? I need a Bible. I'm like, oh, he needs a Bible. <laughs> and I had two Bibles and I did not want to give either of them up. And I was like, oh, man, I'm like, OK, well, which one costs more than the other? And like I gave him <laughs> yeah. the, the cheaper Bible, you know, and then he opened it up and he read in the book of Acts where I think it was Peter and somebody else. They were arrested. They were, I think they were beaten and then they were released. And then they were, they were happy that they were found worthy to suffer for Jesus. And he read that and I thought, okay, I say, well, the food's ready. So we yeah. pray, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we, we eat. And then he tells me, what do you do? And I said, nothing. Like I just finished school and I need to find a job. I'm like, we're on the same boat. Like, except I have a studio apartment and you live in a shelter yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm looking for work. And he's like, brother, God has a job for you. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a, something like it's going to be a great journey. And I don't know what, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah. God has a job for you. He kept telling me. And I said, okay. And we talked, we ate, I walked him out behind the, the, the apartment building was an alley. I walked him down the alley and then we said goodbye and we hugged and then he walked away and I walked, I started walking back to my place and I thought, you know what? I'm going to follow this guy. Like, where is he going? I'm going to fall. I don't know why. I just felt like I need to follow him. So I'm like hiding in the corner, waiting for him to go to further down the street. And then I start following him. And then he turns a corner, he makes a right and I sprint. And then I get to the corner and I peek from behind the building to the next street and he's gone. So then I start walking like, down the street, like he's gone. Like, I don't know. He, you can't see him at all anymore. Just disappeared. Yeah. He's just gone. Yeah. Like he, he turned the corner, made a right. I sprint, get to the corner. I peek to make sure he doesn't see me behind him and he's gone. And then I start walking down the street and there's nowhere, there's no, there's nowhere for him to go. He just disappeared. Wow. 
the next day I got a call and I got a job offer. That's incredible. Oh my God. That's incredible. Um, did you make the connection right away or did it take some time or that? It, it, it took, I don't know. I share, I remember I shared it with some people at church and they quoted the book of Hebrews where that some have been visited by angels and were not aware. So mm-hmm. it talks about hospitality, like show hospitality to others for right. some have been visited by angels and not aware of it. And uh, some people said, I think you just encountered an angel. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. It was, I was just, you know, being nice to this guy. But the more I, I thought about it over the years and it's like, I, I just think maybe he was, yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense. This guy just, the whole encounter, it's like he knew who I was before I met him and then he disappears. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, but you know, sometimes it doesn't have to make sense. And I think that's, and I think you kind of, you've embodied that, you know, in the, in the things that you're doing now too. Um, and here you were, you had a community of brothers, you know, in combat and this man kept calling you brother, which I think was an interesting choice of words that he used with you. That's um, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get one more question before we take a break. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about your advocacy. Um, you talk about the importance of community, um, first community with God, and then second community with friends and family. And why do you think that community or this is particularly important to those who are hurting or maybe contemplating, you know, not leaving this world? Yeah. So the bond I experience in combat is uh, very unique. The, the, you know, the band of brothers where we're, watching each other's backs. I always had someone to talk to. I always had um, guys that I can trust with my life around me. And then getting out, I, I felt like I lost that community. I, I, I wondered who can I trust? With the loss of that community comes also a loss of purpose. What is my purpose now? I went from having missions and having brothers around me and to being alone and then trying to figure out my life alone with this lack of community means I don't have support and we were not made to live life alone. And I'm not talking about marriage. I mean, you need friends, you need family. Um, right. We are made for community. We need people to talk to. We need, we need support. We're, we're social creatures, but you know, God made us that way to have community with God. God made us to have community with him that we, we get to pray and talk to him. We get to worship. And also he says, do not neglect going to church. Do not, you know, we're the body. We're a body of Christ as a church to pray for one another, encourage one another. And even for anyone who's listening to this and you're like, Oh, but I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church, but you still need your friends and your family around you. And so many guys that I know have served and they committed suicide because they felt alone and they felt like they had no purpose when you, when you're alone and have no purpose, then you lose hope in life and in living, getting out and having community with God and with, you know, with friends and family, it gives you purpose because you, you, you know, you're not alone. You have support and, and so many veterans feel like they'll never have support anymore. They'll never have community. And that's just not true, but it does take work on our part as veterans to connect, whether, you know, it's funny, I was just listening just before this podcast interview right now, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he was interviewing uh, another veteran. His name is Mike Glover, who served with the uh, special forces, Green Berets. And they were talking about this very topic and getting out and finding community, whether it's, you know, 
go to church and get join men's groups or women's groups uh, right. and, or, you know, train, like go train in jujitsu or a sport or boxing or, you know, there, there's healthy out, outlets for stress and anxiety. And there's where you can build community, join some club, go join a, a runner's club and go running or yeah. hiking, you know, do that because you'll find that even though not everyone serves this country, you can still relate because as, as human beings, we all have similar struggles. So that's what, I, that's my two cents. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I didn't mean to cut you off at the end there too, but you know, you, you hit the nail on the head and I think this transcends ranks. It transcends years of experience. It transcends everything. I mean, it, you have soldiers coming back and soldiers getting out of the military, even after a long career who just, they do lose their sense of purpose. And, and it is so important to hear, I think at all venture, you know, at all entry levels and exit levels. Um, Okay, so we're going to take a break here, and I really I could talk to you forever. I think about this because we're about to get into a little bit more of the um, you know when you are out and the veterans that are struggling with mental health and trauma and PTSD and all the things. Um, so we're going to talk about this in just a minute. So listeners, if you would like to learn more about Fernando, please visit paratrooperarroyo.com. I'm going to spell that for you just so you got it. It's P A R A T R O O P E R A. R-R-O-Y-O.com. And stay tuned for the rest of our interview. After the commercial break, Fernando and I will be talking about moving from our pain and providing tips on how to help others who are also struggling. Our mission is to globally empower military spouses with resources and support to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Whether you are an individual, a Fortune 500 company, or somewhere in between, join us on our mission. Make your tax-deductible contribution at missionmillspouse.org, or if you're a business interested in sharing your product or services with our more than 100,000 followers, email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Military spouses around the world, thank you for your support. Welcome back, listeners. We're continuing our conversation with Fernando Aurora, the author of The Shadow of Death. Before the break, <laughs> we talked about many things, uh, angels and all sorts of stuff, but we were also talking about your journey with faith. And let's um, talk about, like, shift focus a little bit from your journey um, to how you can help others on their journey. And the first question I'd like to ask about that is, um, what signs should friends and family and loved ones um, be looking for if they suspect someone is suicidal? And I will probably say, especially with the veteran focus. Um, one of the major signs is isolation, becoming distant, not really, not really connecting with family or friends. That's something I did. That's something I see a lot of veterans. You know, so many of my friends, too many of them have taken their own lives and these were some hardcore warriors. I mean, you name from being paratroopers, ranger school graduates, four, five, even eight combat deployments, to then moving on to special forces. And these battle-hardened guys took their own lives. It's coming back, not having that community. You know, that's why I always say, com you know, community with God, fellowship with God, community with others. You need friendships. So isolation is a major one staying to themselves, not sharing their problems, surface level conversations. And if you know they're a veteran, then don't pry. Don't ask, oh, did you kill anyone? I hate that. Right. Or, yeah. you know, going to these 
questions, trying to pry into their, their war experience, just be a friend, just be a friend to them, invite them to watch the football game, the Super Bowl coming up or uh, to dinner and just get to know them as a person. Be well, they will, veterans will share their experience and their story when they feel comfortable. And that goes for anyone who suffers trauma. You know, that's right. Um, You don't ask a rape victim about getting raped. It's, it's just, it's inappropriate. You treat them like a human being. You treat them with respect. So look out for isolation. And if you want to help, just be loving and welcoming. That's what I uh, believe works. And do you think that maybe like there were some things as you look back on, I know you talked in the book, like you were having some PTSD moments with nightmares. I think since most of our, most of our listeners are military spouses, I think that that's something we are very concerned about is that, you know, seeing signs in our spouses, you know, nightmares are hard because, you know, they tend to forget about them the next day, or, you know, you're not there to witness them all the time because you're asleep um, or, or just things like, just signs like that, it's really hard to approach. So how would you maybe suggest a, like a spouse or a loved one of someone approaching someone they think may be having some of these, these signs? Like I would say more specific nightmare type signs. Approach it with love. And what I mean by that is not in a way that's going to start an argument, not in a way of making accusations, maybe start with like, Hey, um, I just want you to know that I care about you. And these are some things that I'm seeing. And I want to, I just want to know that, that I want you to know that I'm here for you. There may be a little resistance even with that. Cause I've been told that I have been told that like, Hey, I'm just like, I care about you. And I just want you to know I'm here for you. And then I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know? And it's like, tell me if, if you feel comfortable, you know, if, like if you notice they're having nightmares, they're not sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. Say, what can I do to, to help you get better sleep? Like, do you need some melatonin or something? Let them know you're there to help and, and let them open up. Gotcha. And I think, I think that, 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 that for our, I think for our listeners and for our community that they do struggle with that because that whole, I'm fine. I got it. I'm good. Like that response is probably 95% of the responses they normally get, you know? So I think it's important you know, to acknowledge that, that that's a normal response and you have to kind of just, you know, be patient with it. Um, and your work, I mean, it takes a lot of courage and strength and your work that putting this in the book took the same thing, you know, just talking about it takes that. So you talk a lot about, um, you've mentioned some scripture verses. So what, do you have a particular scripture verse that, that you lean on or that you keep ready so you can help assist others? Yeah. So several, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep it short. Yeah, uh, Hebrews uh, 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And what what, uh, this is talking about is that Jesus Christ identifies with our suffering. He was, you know, he is God taking on a human body. He suffered. He suffered on the cross. He knows about pain and suffering. He knows the human condition. He knows that. I, he knows when I'm in pain. He knows my heart. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows every hair on my head. The script, the word tells us God is not distant. So something that I thought was because of, you know, we talked about crossing over to the dark side and that what I did, what I did in being happy that this, this other soldier that died, died, like being happy that he was killed 
I thought, oh, I, you know, I've lost connection with God and there's no hope for me. But God always knew my suffering. He knew my heart. He knew the guilt that I actually felt. And even feeling that guilt is a good sign because it says that's proof that I do have a heart and that I do have conviction and that I know what is right in my heart. Knowing that God understands my suffering is a door that's open that I can pray to him and be honest about my suffering, you know, put my pride aside and seek help. And one more scripture, John 3, 16 you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It there is no sin greater than the blood that was shed on the cross. You know, it, it, I thought it was so terrible. You know, some of the things I did in war, rejoicing that a fellow soldier was killed in action. I just thought, uh, I don't, I, what Jesus did, you know, I, I just kind of, it's null and void. It doesn't apply to me. And, and that's just not true. Jesus died specifically for those sins and every sin there is, every sin. There is no sin greater than the blood that was shed. So those two scriptures have helped me to know that God knows me. He understands my suffering and that he is always there to forgive and bring peace to my heart. Wow. Well, and th- those are, I'm, I'm writing them down as you speak. So uh, I was just copying that down real quick, but I think too, that um, it's, it's so amazing that you can find that in your heart and that you've come to that conclusion and you're, you're relatively at a young age to do this. And I'm just hoping that some of our seasoned veterans and families who are listening to this can also, you know, find comfort in, in that, in, in the peace that you have found. Um, you are right now, I believe, are you employed by somewhere that helps with veterans? Is that correct? Yeah, I have two jobs, actually. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about those before we wrap up? Yeah. So I work at a place called Hope by the Sea, and it, it is in, over here in California, in Orange County, Hope by the Sea. It's, uh, I'm a case manager slash counselor, and I help veterans who are, you know, so many of these veterans, they they because of PTSD, they self-medicate and a lot of them become alcoholics and drug addicts. We offer a detox and rehabilitation for them. And I get to walk alongside them and help them find new ways to cope with PTSD and with whatever they're facing in their life. And um, so that they could live a, a, a healthy life, you know? And then the other job I have is I am the veterans outreach director for a nonprofit called Step Forward Academy. At Step Forward Academy, what we want to do, it's available to everybody and it is online. If you go to stepforwardacademy.org, we want to help civilians and, and military personnel and veterans find a career to earn a living wage. And we do it, not only do we offer a curriculum step-by-step how to do it, we also have coaches and mentors that that we have ready to help. And these are all volunteers. It's all at no charge. And we're just ready to help active duty military personnel figure out how they can transition their skills to civilian life and have a mentor and coach along the way. So, I mean, I could have benefited so much from this when I got out, not really having directions, you know, feeling alone. We want to support veterans and military personnel and help them find community and find a career, a living wage, and not do it alone. So Step Forward Academy. 
I love it. So Hope by the Sea and Step Forward Academy listeners, you can look those up um, and check those out a little bit more to find out more about Fernando's new mission, which um, I think it's amazing that your your experiences are leading you to help others, you know, who need this type of healing as well. So God is really using you, Fernando. I really believe that. Um, and as we wrap up our conversation, I'm going to have one question uh, for you. We ask all our guests. Um, so like in your realm of expertise, which I'd say is now a mentor and a counselor, um, what is one piece of advice you'd give our listeners to help navigate military life? To help navigate military life. That's right. As we struggle through military life, what is one one thing in your in your experience that you found will, should really help us or we can maybe take with us? Well, my advice would be seek out the chaplain in your unit and know that you, I mean, without God, you lose the cornerstone of your strength, of true strength and, and direction. Staying focused on God. Because when I joined, you know, I was praying and all that. And then once I got to my unit, I didn't seek out God. I, I wasn't, you know, talking to the chaplain and it's all confidential. You know, it's all confidential when you talk to the chaplain. So finding the chaplain and then finding Christian mentors in the military to help you with navigating the military life and most importantly, they are, they say your first ministry is your home, not putting the guys you serve with ahead of your wife and your children. Um, those are the two things that I advise that that's my advice. Well, thank you. I mean, that was very candid and, and very helpful. We do have a chaplain on our staff who um, he's one of our expert writers and he does a corner every, um, every month about kind of the same issues that you just talked about, about the confidentiality and, and how they're there to support and they, and the chaplains want to support. And, and it seems like people are coming to them, you know, with crisis, but they want to be there for strength as well. So you actually probably made him very happily happy with that <laughs> comment. Yeah. Um, so for thank you so much for joining me today. I probably could have talked to you for another two hours. Um, our listeners um, really benefited from from you sharing your way about finding your your way with faith and helping others find theirs. Um, as always, we very much thank you for serving our military community. Thank you. And uh, this was an awesome interview. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. And listeners, you can check out his book, The Shadow of Death, online or at major booksellers. Thank you again. Now let's return to our Mission Mill Spouse podcast studio to hear what our hosts thought about today's conversation. Par for the course, yet another exciting interview. Thanks again to Fernando Arroyo for joining us this week and sharing his book, The Shadow of Death, From My Battles in Fallujah to the Battles for My Soul. Likewise, if you would like to connect with Fernando, you can find him on Facebook and also on his website at paratrooperarroyo.com. Amy, what really stood out to you during Kathleen's conversation with Fernando? Oh, that was, it was just a really good interview. I, one, I just think Fernando has a voice that it was very personable that everybody could relate to. And the sure. way he shared his stories was so interesting. I mean, I know I want to go back and read the book for myself now because I would mm -hmm. really like to hear more. Um, and again, relatable. We, we've been through a couple of those long deployments. My husband was in, and his first deployment was at the height of the surge, you know, in Baghdad. And it was a rough, rough season of life. And 
when he went on to talk about the guys coming home and what they're going to do next in their life and, and either getting out or not getting out, but that the isolation that they start to feel really hit me. Um, I just thought that was really, he did a really good job kind of laying that out in his own personal story. I think. Yeah. I, um, I kind of enjoy listening to the way he approached the PTSD conversation um, and how he advised, you know, spouses or family members on how to address that with their service members and, you know, to not be accusatory or aggressive or to back them into a corner, but to just kind of gently approach them and give the help that they are willing to receive in that moment. Even if, you know, they say they're fine, just make sure that they know that they are supported and that you care about them. And I thought that was a really good way of approaching that instead of, you know, like a, an intervention where you force them to get help, you just kind of meet them where they are and support them as they progress, you know, through that journey and hopefully to get better um, as the end goal. But you're talking about joking about death to cope with death and all of those, you know, coping mechanisms are really important for family members to keep an eye on when their, mm-hmm. when their service members come home. Absolutely. No, I like how you phrase that as well. It's like just to not be accusing, you're right. And how can we keep an eye on these guys and let them know that we are just here to talk with them. And, you know, that the whole thing about the community piece, which I think is so important for all of us as spouses too. And, you know, some joking is okay. And it, cause it, it honestly reminded me of, so my husband is a chaplain and mm-hmm. he was in Arlington cemetery for 18 months. And that is a hard, hard tour for some of our chaplains. And they're doing, you know, four to five funerals a day. Oh gosh. All week long, all week long, no matter what the weather and um, nonstop. And I can't even remember how many funerals he probably, you know, did in a year was at least over 400 funerals. And it starts to weigh on you, you know, when you hear people's stories and you hear those things. And so he and his chaplains, you know, while they're getting ready, they started making jokes about death and he'd say something to me and I'd be like, oh my God, are you okay? (laughs) Because it kind of freaked me out at first. And he's like, no, listen, honey, it is such a dark, sometimes we are in such a dark a job and a place and we're dealing with these things. And for us, we, we promise we're keeping an eye on each other, but you have, sometimes it's just easier to make a joke. And I was like, okay, you know, and I get that. And so at least again, they were doing that in their own little community, their own group. And so when I think Fernando brought up the whole part of the community, even with um, Joe Rogan's podcast, which I personally don't listen a lot, but my son does. And the have an MMA guy on there in the gym. I, I it also made me think we have several of our friends that are ex-military or you know, veterans are wounded and they've found, you know, mixed martial arts, jujitsu, boxing, and that gym environment has become their new community. And Mm -hmm. it's been just healing and sports and being able to talk to people that have been there with you. And I just thought that was a really cool thing for him to point out as well. In fact, we have a friend that has a a MMA gym down in like Fort Campbell area. Mm -hmm. He's a special forces guy and has been out and he's been in jujitsu for years. And they, we worked with them while we were there. They even created their own side, um, I guess their own ministry for wounded warriors and they would host dinners and they try to get involved in that community because he's all about, I'm not going to be isolated. We're going to pour back into our community and reach out to everybody and, and, connect in, and connect in that way. And it's just powerful. Like I've seen it work. It really does work. And it gives guys another outlet without having to feel like they need to go to counseling necessarily or that there's something wrong with them. Does that make sense? It does. And you brought up counseling, which I think is a good point. Um, your husband, you said is a chaplain um, and our service members can see the chaplains too. If they're not, if they don't want to go to counseling, but they're still struggling, they can go talk to a chaplain. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, the one thing he said at the end of his interview, which I loved was he got to a unit and you find your chaplain. And I'm just going to put a shameless plug out there. If you 
who can't find your chaplain, please reach out to us. We will find your chaplain for you. If you don't, I mean, we will find who's in your area and we will make sure that you find somebody to talk to because we have some amazing chaplains out there that are ex-military, ex-infantry themselves and different, they've served in different capacities and now they've come back in as chaplains. And so they've lived both lives and really understand the struggles. And my husband's goal when he joined the army as well was I just want to live life with these soldiers. They're being separated from their families. They're being separated from their churches. They're being sent overseas. And I'm going to go do it with them and just be there for them, you know, because chaplains are non-combatants. So they're running around these deployment zones with no guns and, and that's, that's what they were doing. They're doing, that's what they're keeping an eye on their soldiers. And so the cool thing about them is when you go see them, if you want to go see them to talk or for counseling or whatever, a lot of arguments get cast out there because I realize it's, you, you, you hear the word counseling and you think, well, they're mandatory reporters because of the blog we have, we have a blog called the chaplain's corner. I encourage people to go check it out and read the first entry from chaplain Fisher. And he goes into detail explaining that the chaplain corps is the only group protected by the military that is complete 100% confidentiality. And to what I mean, they can walk in and say, I have a plan. I plan on killing myself today and could walk out and the chaplain can say nothing. Like he would even get brought up by the DOJ and punished for saying anything. And so it creates a unique bond if you trust them to speak to them. Now he may try to talk to you. He may ask you some questions and try to see if you would like to get help, but their job is not to puke their faith on you. Their job is to not even worry about that part. Their job is to, how are you doing as a soldier and how can I get you the help that you need? Yeah, and, and they really are good at separating. It's not about their faith or your faith. It's about how can we help you right now? That is their job. Yeah, it's about the soldier, right? And that's Absolutely. that is a unique opportunity that it, it opens the door for someone who might be worried about repercussions with their career, but who desperately needs help. And that gives them a good place to go. So thank you for um, thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that. And, and they welcome families. I mean, they welcome if it's you and your spouse, whatever. It's still nothing is going to come back to the career or to the spouse or, you know what I mean? Like, again, it, it does create a great cushion for that area. So you definitely add a great resource to use and to take advantage of. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, military life resources and great people. Two of my favorite things. Speaking of resources and people, this week's resource recon shines a spotlight on one of our incredible bloggers, Angel Garcia. In her recent blog titled Nova, it's not for the weak of heart. Angel writes, no duty station is created equal. You could fall in love with one place and be destroyed by another. All military spouses aren't created equal either. What one spouse can endure, another could fall apart. What one spouse considers a cakewalk, another spouse feels like she's walking a tightrope across the Manhattan skyline. I really like that. Um, so I've never been stationed in Nova, um, but I have heard plenty of stories about it, about the duty station and the cost of living. And um, I think you have to be a, a special kind of personality to um, tolerate living in Northern Virginia. Uh, I lived in Southern Virginia, but I think that's a completely different ball game. Yeah, sure. I, I read this and it just resonated with my soul because I am in this area right now. And oh, nice. yeah, this is my, actually it's my second time here. So at least I knew what I was coming into. Sure. But it's a whole different ball game when, you know, the first time I lived here, I still had a baby in a stroller and this time I have teens. And so you know, it's funny when things come back around and it, I agree, it's expensive here. It is. And the tr when I saw the part about her having to drive in traffic every day, I just <laughs> cry for her because that drive is no joke driving here. And I mean, I have 
This time we moved from Northern California, which if you ever drive in San Francisco, you just better hold on for dear life. <laughs> it's pretty close to that here. And, and in fact, I've even stalled on my team getting his driver's license here because it's just that bad. And yeah. so I just, you know, Angel, if you're in my area at all, I'm in Springfield. I just want to tell you, I will personally meet with you and get coffee, or I just want to give you a hug um, because I, I can just, the, the not holding the door open, it's just a different feel from the South up here in DC and people are in a hurry. And I don't think they're out to get you and they're not out to be mean. It's just everybody is doing the best they can, I will yeah. say. And they definitely, not everybody has that Southern hospitality that you might get used to down in Texas. And we are from Texas, so I know what she's talking about there. Um, it's, a, it's just definitely an experience. It really is. Yeah, I, I will say I'm from the Maryland uh, DC area. I grew up about 40 minutes north of DC and I promise they're not all out to get you, um, but they are in a hurry. East coasters move with a purpose and they want to get where they're going and they're not always polite about it, but um, we're not all so bad. <laughs> Absolutely not. And that's what, you know, when she does say not every spouse is the same and not every place is the same. And that is so true. And, and I just want to encourage her and whoever else, the next time you go back somewhere, it's not going to be the same, right? It's mm -hmm. like, we, we all grow and our kids get older. And so last time I thought, oh, I didn't get to explore as much. And I was in my little bubble. And this time I'm like, we're going to get on the Metro and do all the things. <laughs> and I still haven't quite figured that all out yet. I've been lost <laughs> on the Metro. I will say that. Um, I have ended up in Maryland on accident for getting on the wrong highway. But, you know, as I tell my kids, for us personally, we came into this as our army adventure. And so that's what we're going to make it. And I feel like I'm just going to try to take the good with the bad and get used to it the best I can and roll with it. And, you know, it's, and, and you can always see the light of the tunnel because guess what? You're going to get orders again and move. <laughs> Maybe yep. before you do it. That's a great perspective. Whether you love Nova or not, we want to thank Angel for sharing her thoughts and words with us today. Our final fantastic resource for today comes from our Director of Empowerment, Amanda Bignese, with her Empowerment Patrol Report showcasing our everyday empowerment recipient. Let's listen in. We here at Mission Mill Spouse never doubt the strength of our military spouse tribe. Here is our Director of Empowerment with this week's Empowerment Patrol Report. Hello, Mission Mill Spouse listeners. This is your Director of Empowerment, Amanda Bickneys, bringing you this week's Empowerment Patrol Report. Today we are showcasing our everyday empowerment recipient, Tanya Mayano, nominated by Amy Fisher, who shares with us a little bit about Tanya and how she empowers others. Amy states, my family has moved several times in the last six years, especially, and that gets harder as the kids get older. We have three kids and homeschool them. The first one graduated and is on her own. The second one is 17 and almost done, but we have a 13 year old daughter still. I have gotten a little stale on the fun side of homeschooling, to be honest. It's more difficult when they are older teens to drag them on field trips and get together. And death glare if you slip and mention a play date. Anyway, the 13-year-old tries to act cool like Big Brother, but I know she was missing out. We also live off post here, which is another struggle not being in the neighborhood with other teens. This is where Tanya comes in. She moved to the area with enthusiasm and planned events on her page with vigor. When I finally got to meet her in person at one event and mentioned her explosion of plannings, she just laughed and said something like, we move so often and it's hard enough. I just wanted to jump right in, meeting families and taking in everything that the city has to offer while we're here. The schooling part still happens, but 
To not take advantage of all the field trip adventures we have available every move would just be wrong. And if something isn't already going, I figure I will jump in and host or lead it. And that she has. Wow, so great to hear. And on behalf of Mission Mill Spouse, thank you so much, Tanya, for doing your part to empower families all across the globe. Until next time, I'm Amanda Bickneys reminding you, Empowered Spouses Empower Spouses. Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are our primary focus. We have more than 2,600 blogs with topics including PCS, parenting, career guidance, humor, deployment, and more. Whether you're dating a service member, have just said I do as a new spouse, or are a seasoned spouse with a whole collection of PCS stickers on your furniture, we have something for you. But hey, don't just take our word for it. I'm Lindsay, and when my husband joined the military, I was completely lost when it came to assimilating to military life and culture. This organization made me feel like I had support, a new community I could lean on, and equip me with invaluable information about military spouse life. Tap into all of our empowering resources at missionmillspouse.org or follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Millspouse. Congratulations, Tanya. We will be in touch soon. Thanks for your empowerment within the military community. As they say, time flies when you are empowering military spouses. As we near this episode's conclusion, note that we drop not one, but two podcast episodes each week. Tune in on Thursdays for a shorter version of our podcast when our command team members get personal and chat about their lives and the lessons that they've learned as mill spouses. Mark your calendars for our next full-length episode when we chat with Tara Wright from Sesame Street for Military Children. It's going to be another great addition to our extensive podcast archive. As we wrap up, we invite you to consider joining us on our mission. We are always seeking bloggers to contribute once per month submissions. All spouses from all branches and all components are welcome. Finally, if you have a resource that applies to military spouses, inquire about being a guest on our podcast. Our season books up quickly, so don't wait. Email hello at missionmillspouse.org or send us a direct message on any social media outlet. Whether you are stateside, overseas, or temporarily living in a hotel with your service member, two dogs, a cat, and three kids, please remember that we are here to help you navigate your military life journey. We are cheering you on. No matter what you are facing, we want you to remember that we've been there and you are not alone. We've got your six. This is your Mission Mill Spouse Command Team signing out. Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your tribe and leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice to catch episodes that drop every Monday and Thursdays each week. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or LinkedIn at Mission Mill Spouse. Snag some sweet freebies by signing up for our newsletter, The Sit Rep. And finally, if you'd like to join us on our mission to serve military spouses, consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website or email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Mission Mill Spouse, empowering you to navigate this military life since 2005.